Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his decree. Welcome to another exciting episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Greg. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm the second host, John. I'm the third host, Mike. <laughs> Is this time for a coup? Am I going to work my way up to second host? Is that what's I was happening? Waiting, I was waiting for Mike to do it. I'm like, oh, I don't Mike's the second host now. I'm not the second host anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> the, the door was open, but Mike refused no, to, I, to go through it. <laughs> right? It's a Darth Vader Obi-Wan situation. Uh. <laughs> How y'all doing? Good. All things considered. I mean, I'm busy. I'm up to my eyeballs and stuff, but things are good. Hey, that's life. Yeah, dude. How about you? How we doing? Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Busy. Fantastic. In, that's, in, that's... In, a, in a better way than the two of you since mm-hmm. I'm on summer break. Um, oh. So busy with things <laughs> that I want to be doing. Good for you. Uh, so... and, uh, super uh, excited for this trip to Seattle, which is obviously focused around masters but not just masters so you can be spending a, a week out there with my wife and some of her friends and never been to that part of the country so it's it's all around just gonna be a good time that's awesome it i totally am so is. looking forward to it right yeah so it's, it's gonna be fun yeah it's one of the blessings of um being able to travel to play a game right like i had no other reason to go to seattle except for to do this now i'm like well yeah let's go right <laughs> yeah yeah so basically cool. Greg, you were you were saying about summer vacation. Congratulations, by the way, your summer vacation. Oh, thank you. I, I know every year it's kind of an annual thing, pretty important. But so uh, for those of you that have children, my kids are finally getting to an age where they like realize the difference between work and vacation. And they were they you know school was wrapping up for the year, and they asked me the other day, they said, "Dad, when does your summer vacation start?" Said, oh, 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 kids. <laughs> I, I wish. Right. So when Dad <laughs> no, is seventy-five and a half. He will be able to take a summer vacation. Oh, daddy just works all year long with no breaks. Uh, right. Welcome to welcome to life. This is what you have to look forward to, unless you're mm-hmm. our teacher. So. Right. The uh, it's it, it is it is a funny thing. I I actually get a lot of I get a lot of vacation time at work, and right now because of COVID, I'm maxed. Like all my time is maxed, and so I'm at a part where it's like I'm real close to like use it or lose it, and I get 28 days off a year. Now counting holidays, right? So, wow. I mean, it's it's yeah, getting to the a, point that's where a decent chunk of it, time. It's gross. It's like you know, five days of personal plus another twenty-five days or twenty-three days of vacation, right? Because I've been there long enough. And it's like, okay, so when we get to about July, I'm just not going to work on Fridays. Is that cool? 
are, are you guys cool with that? I mean, just not being in on Fridays for the rest of the year, oh, right? So you jealous. Know? It's I, I'm not going to do it. I mean, if I did that, it would be I would just have more to do on Monday. But you know, it, I'm 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 working toward it. It's a thing that I want to do, right? And then I'll have no excuse for not painting. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's>, <laughs> take some paint days, Mike. That's I know. Funny. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. right. It's perfect. So I actually I have a I have a quick story not about painting but just about um so we we Fourth of July so it, we're recording this on the seventh sixth something like that it's, it's the sixth sixth the sixth yeah. there you go right no idea what time it is um and so I'm at the Fourth of July with the one of the guys in the cul-de-sac uh, shoots off fireworks on the third so we're in the middle of the cul-de-sac everybody's drinking adult beverages and we're all hanging out and I'm getting to know the neighbors a little bit because I just moved in with Mindy um uh, five months ago right six months ago so. One of the guys next door, I, I, I'm in this little poker group with them. And, you know, hey, my name is Mike. Pleasure to meet you. What are you into? And, you know, you kind of get to know each other. And one of the guys there was like, I've never seen Star Wars. And I don't know what Lord of the Rings is and stuff. And, <laughs> and so I, I was like, wow, you are not part of any of, like, the geek zeitgeist. Like, what is your deal? What do you watch? He goes, basketball all the time. I go, that is totally on brand, right? Um, and I made the offhand comment. I was like, well, you know, I just play tactical war games and paint miniatures like that guy from 40-year-old version. Or I could be lying, right? And everybody kind of chuckled that off. And one of the guys next door, so he brings that up when we're at this, at you know, the fireworks thing. He goes, you do paint minis, don't you? <laughs> I go, why would you say that? He goes, because that was really specific. I was like, yes. He goes, I do too. I'm like, bullshit you do, right? So now he's like, yeah, I play Marvel Crisis Protocol, and I play X-Wing, and I play Star Wars Legion. And what do you play? I'm like, Kings of War. He goes, I've never heard of that, but I want to learn it. So I'm like, all right, we're swapping games this year. So, uh, right, so he's going to come over <laughs> in a couple weekends after I come back from Seattle. I'm going to teach him King, Kings of War, him and his kid. And he's going to teach me Marvel. So nice. I'm like, that's, that's uh, awesome. Beautiful. Right? Yeah, beautiful. it's so awesome. That's all. Yeah, it's, it's fun to run into people like that. I have a, um, I, I hired a guy at work recently. He started um, know, a couple of months ago. And so I've been getting to know him a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we were chatting about something, and I, I think I had maybe mentioned I was going to a tournament or something like that. And he's like, oh, my. My my brother has been playing Marvel Crisis Protocol, and then he we were on a Zoom call or something, and he's like, and he gave me this, and he held held up like a like a Chaos Space Marine Dreadnought from like the nineteen oh. nineties, like an old metal one. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, my my brother gave me this, and it's been sitting on my computer. I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. So we've got you know some some miniature gamer hopefuls in there. It's pretty awesome, right? I mean, listen, <laughs> it, it really is. It's underground. It's I think it if is. you grew up in the eighties, you're like, I need to hide this. Right. right. And you just keep right. this. This is my own little precious thing over here that you don't need to know about, you know, but it's pretty awesome. You know, everybody's got the secret handshake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we need a secret handshake. Or if, yeah, like, exactly. or if like you find some bro with like the chaos star tattooed on his, on his <laughs> arm or something, you're like, oh, I know where this guy goes. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. It's so it's so funny. There There is this like this cult around the stuff. But we were um, Greg and I played a game last night. And uh, so we were down at the game store that Greg lives near. Um, and I, I used to hang out there a lot in my, in when I lived in Connecticut. Uh, and, and I don't have this, this phenomenon happening at my local game store anymore. There, I, I walked into the store, Greg was like setting up the table and I'm walking back and I got my miniatures and stuff. And I walked past the, like you walk into the place and there's a bunch of like card tables or like, I don't know, people are playing like, they're, they're painting, building models, playing magic, whatever. And the miniature room's in the back. So I'm walking through the area and there's a bunch of bros there and they're sitting around and I'm just like, I wasn't really paying attention, but I, I just heard their conversation and they're like, one guy says like, yeah, well, what if, what if this other demon, what if this 
Space Brain Primark was actually dedicated to Zinch instead of Slanesh and blah, blah. And they're, this is like the group of guys at the game store that does the 40K theory hammering. Not not like the rules. They're they're like the 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 fluff guys. They're uh, like the what if how do we rank the power of all the Space Marine Legions against each other? And what if <laughs> what if we found the lost legion and what would happen? And, and like and right? I just remember what you know, there's always been a group of these guys at that store doing that, and it, it brought back fond memories to see them still doing it there. Because I don't have that in my local game store. Having no. the same the same argument fifteen same. years later. <laughs> it's so great. Right? What if this space breed fought this space breed? What would happen? Right. I, it, it's uh, the thing that I'm looking good. forward to is when yeah. I get older. Like there's a, there's a group of old bros. Back when we were going to the me and me and Kyle and all those guys, we were going to the diner every every Saturday. Um, and there's a local diner near me uh, that that. Um, Corey and I would go to all the time, right? Um, and there's this group of old dudes that would, oh, like, not always, but they'd be there at least like three times a week. Yep. So I'm there on a Monday getting my old, you know, oil change across the street. I'm in there getting food before I go to work. And they're all sitting around shooting a breeze. I just, I see that except for geek talk instead of talking about like, you know, the weather. But it really is it's, that as it, we get older. It is. You know? Nothing yeah, wrong with that. It's okay. It's awesome. It's all I'm good. Totally for it. Yep. So besides me, um, you know, setting up practice games and, and uh, you know, introducing Kings of War to the neighbors, what, what, are, what have you guys been doing for hobby? Yeah, well, we've, uh, we've had our master's list submitted, and at this point they've uh, been published, so anyone interested can find the U.S. Kings of War master's list by going to Fanatics, I think. I don't... Yeah, they're posted on I'm Fanatics. I'm not on these... Yeah, I'm yep. not on these platforms. I don't know I think the social posted. media. Yes. Um, we've been lining up practice games, and I had uh, some painting to do to get ready uh, for my uh, list. I added two regiments of Scorch Wings, and I think I talked about assembling them on mm -hmm. the previous episode. Got those painted up. Really, really enjoyed painting them. They came together super quick and effectively, I think, using contrast paints to get a nice like blended graded flame effect from right you know yellow up to like a burnt uh red on the tips and i think they, they look really nice thanks yeah they they definitely pop you know they don't match the the color scheme doesn't match what's already in the army but the right. basing matches so they just stand out a little bit more and i think they look nice uh to be honest they were so easy to paint i've been sitting here writing lists that includes like upwards of a thousand points of scorch wings just <laughs> to paint ideas. them all up and then right? i would call it scorches of nature so <laughs> you know that that might happen in the future i don't know right and then i also had to paint a greater air elemental and that i also picked up the mantic model for that that model also quick to paint because if you're familiar with it, uh, it's it's just a big swirl of air. It's roughly in humanoid shape. It has a area that could be a face or, as Rossi says, could be a sphincter. And then it's got two arms. I think I'm not and the only one. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. But you're remember, the one who I don't know if it was Steve Hildrew who was like, if I painted that a flesh tone. Yeah. I would probably get thrown, <laughs> get thrown out of the game store, right? Oh, yeah. 
So that model went together fairly well. It is a resin model and it's in four pieces. So it's kind of like the bottom third, the top two thirds, and then the two arms. And the joints where the arms attached to the body were fine. I think I, I, there was one area that I kind of filled in with green stuff where the, you know, the bottom and the top parts go in together. There is a very small gap and that is a problem because of the texture. If you can picture the model or, or look up a picture, the texture of it is like these ridges, right? Cause it's like swirling air. And so there's all of these obvious gaps. They're very small but obvious gaps. And so I filled that with green stuff, but it was very difficult, at least for me, someone who's not that great at using green stuff to, to smooth it out perfectly. So if you look at my painted model and you look up close, you can definitely be like, yep, there's the green stuff right there. <laughs> but that's better than just having holes, you know, where the, the gap oh, would no. be. So. Yeah. Right. And, it, and it's not noticeable unless you're really, I think, up close and you're looking for it. So that was another one painted mostly with contrast. Um, although I used lots of off white and white to build up sort of the layers to get a nice highlight from sort of a right shadow gray, like a bluish gray in the recesses up to a couple spots of, of true white. Um, it came out I really nice. That thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It came out really nice. The co the color transition from the like you said that the the grayish blue up to the white was really, really well done. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. It it also is a model that is a monster. So it's on a fifty millimeter base, but it hangs over in all sorts of directions. And so I I made sure I don't always um, put varnish on my minis depends on how much handling they're going to get. And this guy, he definitely needed that coat of varnish because you can't not touch him. And you basically always need to have a spare 50 millimeter base uh, <laughs> on hand for when right. he doesn't line up next to terrain or next right. to units or all that stuff. But I, I do like the model. And um, aside from that one sort of uh, hurdle of that gap, uh, came together great and I think painted up nice. Sure. So, Can I make an yeah. observation on the, on the uh, scorch wings too, that the, the cool thing that you did that I think um, a lot of beginner painters don't do is they started, you know, when you look at fire, the lower tones, the reds are at the edges. Yeah. Right. And so you started with the yellow in the middle where it's hottest, which is cool, but also works because the, the rest of the bodies, you made that stone ash gray, that light gray. Right. So going from the light gray to the yellow and then the yellow out to the red makes it, it isn't as stark of a transition as it would be if you went the other way around. And it came out really cool. Yeah. Right. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Both of those. I basically followed the box art. I sure not sure who painted these uh, minis. I know some of their show pieces, uh, Angel Geraldes who's an excellent painter that I follow online uh, has painted things like the, the Phoenix um, right. and like the goblin slasher and, and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if he painted those, but yeah, I, I more or less followed it. And it, I think, it, yeah, the colors look good and mm -hmm. with contrast, you can get a really nice transition uh, because basically I would do, I would put the gray down 
and let that dry. And then I would paint the rest of the body in one sitting. Mm. And, you know, it would pretty much, the paint would pretty much stay wet the entire time. Mm -hmm. So really like drawing lines to get from the yellow to orange to red and then adding black onto the tips, uh, you know, where it's like burning away. So yeah, Um, scorches of nature. That's uh, that's (laughs) maybe in my future because they're fun models. Fire, fire elementals are no joke too. Just saying, right? They're really good, and I think you do a really good job with that with a fire, a greater fire, and um, a couple, a couple hordes of those. So, actually, this is totally off topic. Well, it's not totally off topic, but um, back in the days of the Unplugged GT, we used to have. We, I don't know why we did this, but we built these fire forests. That's what we called them. We played them as a forest. Yeah, we but did. It was a bunch Flame of pillars, pillars of fire. I've right, got yep. like dozens of fire pillars. I could probably make an entire army of fire elementals and greater fire elementals out of these. Oh, you could. Fire yeah, those... All I got to do is stick them on bases and I'd have a whole army done. Yeah. Right? Cause we don't, we don't use them in the GT anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of impractical. They're, they are impractical. Yeah. Well, what cool. have you been up to John? Um, not a ton, to be honest. Uh, I've played a, a game with Greg. Um, I think that's the only game of Kings of War I played recently. Um, I've been playing Gloomhaven. Um, I've got a, a group of guys we've been yeah. doing like once a week. We get together and do Draws of the Lion, which is the like a prequel to Gloomhaven, I guess. Um, and I gotta be honest, it's freaking amazing. Um, yeah, it's There's, yeah, it's it, it's fun. First of all, it's just fun, which is good. And we've got a, we've got a group of four players. We get together every Thursday and we drink bourbon and play. Jaws the Lion, right? Which is which is fun by itself, but also the the balance in that game is amazing. Like the every scenario we go into, there's okay. This is kind of how the game works. Real real high level. It's a very like tactical board game play, I guess. Um, is like a, a hex grid. You've each got a character. You move around and you do your abilities. But every player has to pick their abilities like in secret at the beginning of the turn. There's a little bit of option that you get to make. But more or less, you're you're coordinating. You're not coordinating. You're kind of choosing your movement secret, and then there's a like a initiative roll, kind of like in D and D, and the monsters get an initiative roll too. So you're kind of guessing at like how fast the, another player is going to go, or you, or the monster is going to go, and when you're going to do your action, if you're going to be able to do the thing you wanted to do. Okay, but anyway, every scenario comes down to either. Um, a lot of them has a boss fight or you have to achieve a certain objective. Every single one comes down to like the last flip, like half our party is dead and somebody is about to die. And then we kill the boss and we finally win the scenario where one guy has one turn left and the whole rest of the party has gone. And every single time we play, it's like that. It's so, it's such a nail biter. And I love that about it. And the crazy part is that, there's so many variations in like the the different abilities you could take, the different magic items you could take, and every single one still comes out like that. I don't know if your game went that way, Mike. If you had the same experience, I I to be honest, I uh, Mindy bought us Gloomhaven, and I haven't even opened the box. I opened it, said, "Wow, there's a lot of stuff in here." Closed it, and we did um, the Lord of the Rings cooperative game instead, oh, which is okay. also awesome. Awesome, yeah, but in a different way. And so we we played through that all during the pandemic. Um, and this summer, it's like, okay, so we're going to do some board gaming, right? And I'm looking at, do I continue with like the latest? 
um, Lord of the Rings expansion, or yeah. do we or do we do uh, Gloomhaven? And I've heard Jaws of the Lion is the way to start. Well, Jaws, uh, yeah, I, I think they fixed some of the like awkward mechanics that were in core Gloomhaven and Jaws right. of the Lion. It also has a really nice um, campaign intro. So like the first, I don't know, five or six missions you play are all part of the the like the tutorial. So, and it kind of like builds up your understanding of the game mechanics before it really throws you into the deep ends. Yeah, see, that's um, the way to do it. And I, I just, I'm anyway, I'm really, really impressed with it as a, a good balanced game. It's super fun. It's very tactical. If you're into casual board gaming, I don't think it's the game for you because it is challenging. Right. So you've got, if you got three or four people who are really like into, you know, optimizing your moves and comboing things. That would that would work really well if you're kind of like, man, I'll just do whatever. You're gonna die. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, Got it. So anyway, so that's that's been a lot of my hobby lately. Is 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 that? It's just been a really good experience. Um, I've also been painting some 40k stuff. I posted some pictures the other day. I've got some more pictures to post. And then right. on Sunday morning, I woke up and I was like, I just want to paint something, start to finish today. And so I built and assembled some terrain pieces, like some. Um, from an old GW kit, uh, yeah. like a war cry kit or something. I built a couple of buildings. I airbrushed them. I dry brushed them. I picked up some details and I went like start to finish on them in one, not quite one sitting, but I did like a little morning, a little in the afternoon. And that felt really good to just finish something. And I'll post some pictures of those too in the, the coming days here. So yeah, that's me, man. Cool. Yeah. That Tau stuff that you posted looks really nice. This uh, this reminds me. I always forget to do this, and so I'll ask you to do it too. But where you said you posted this stuff, if someone's listening and they don't follow you, where can they go to follow you? What's your username? I post most of this stuff on the Unplugged Radio Facebook group. Um, on Instagram, I think my tag is at John Vanas, and on Twitter, I think it's also at John Vanas. Jonathan Vanas, actually, on on Instagram quite proper twitter twitter go. is a really shitty photo sharing platform if like if what what you want to post is pictures twitter is not the way to do it instagram works way better oh yeah it's designed for it yeah right yeah. first and foremost and if you want to see uh my scorch wings or the greater air elemental that's at unplugged radio k-o-w on instagram, instagram. At unplugged radio k-o-w what one of the things about the um, <laughs> excuse me about the towel you're mentioning, Mike? Yeah, those were kind of a fun experiment in colors um, because yeah. the so the white they're like white and blue, and I wanted to paint them like the box art, like a Viola Sept, whatever. It's one of the factions, mm -hmm. um, which are kind of white and black, like white armor, black underclothes, if you will. And the way the GW team did it is they shaded the white with brown, actually, <clears throat> like a light brown, too. It's a really interesting scheme. <clears throat> but I have a previous Tau army that's blue. Like, it's just, it's like dark blue and brighter blue. It's all blue. I painted it 20 years ago. Um, so I wanted to kind of match that. So I went with, instead of white, I went with a light blue with a dark blue. The clothes, I guess, with the dark blue. Um, so it was interesting to paint a very light blue color and then highlight it up to white. And it, it honestly, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's white. But it actually shows as like a cool white instead of yeah. a warmer white. No, it's 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 pretty awesome, especially since you contrast that with the dark blue 
of the of the under you know of the suit the underneath, suit yeah right so you it almost looks like you started with dark blue and then went you know from there and then brought everything up to its natural color it's really cool looking because it gives it depth even though it's so simple three colors well right? that's and that's the thing so there's other bits on there like the the color in the eye sockets and like the color of his like the the feet and stuff like the equipment those are all actually combinations of the other colors i just mix them together to create those shades so it's it's a very flat palette but they i think the colors blend nicely together because they're all part of that same color family so it I, it was a fun experiment to paint them i have got a couple more left to do to finish up that squad um and yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about doing another kill team after them with similarly experimenting with just kind of a different technique, different color. And so it comes out. I tried something similar on a, a Warcry Warband last year, mm -hmm. and I didn't like the way it came out. So, sure. you know, sometimes when you do these experiments, you get some wins, you get some failures. I, I had painted some guys with them um, that had a lot of skin. They were like Chaos Marauders, like like corn guys. Yeah. Um, a lot of like bare chested. Uh, Conan the Barbarian style guys. And I right. tried like undercoating their skin with different colors to provide some some different hues to it. Yeah. It didn't work. It just it looks like they all look like they have pink skin. It's just, yeah. Huh. So win some, lose some. Right. So I've been doing uh just practice gaming, right? Um so went to we had a practice game over at or a practice day over at the fortress. Uh, the local event space. And so that was good. Um, I uh, was able to get a game in against Undead, which I won with my master's list. And then I played K2 and he removed all of my stuff and had, we played push and he had all seven tokens by the end of turn five. Ooh, skull like, Ooh, face. Son of a God, skull face. And that was the end of that. So I, I, uh, I double won a horde of great axe. And so I'd like to think that that was part of the problem, but it totally wasn't. <laughs> totally wasn't. Well, it was part of it, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, did, it contributed to him having seven as opposed to just winning the scenario outright, right? right. But you know, and then I had another uh, practice against Corey. Um, so I'm getting, you know, I'm getting practice games. I'm getting reps in with the list. I made a couple minor changes to the, what I normally take to go into Masters. Uh, Garrick Heavy, Heavy Hand is legit, by the way. Holy crap right um so if you don't know he's like a dwarf lord so he's mighty um he hits on threes he has five attacks but instead of having crush one he has crush three Ew. yeah he has um uh radiance of life and regen five plus oh that he's unkillable and That's defense like... six so he's quite good and so i was taking a i mean it's a trade-off right so I, I was taking a a, a, a stone priest with the Radiance of Life upgrade and Bane Chant. Um, and I dropped him and I picked up Garrick instead. And what Garrick does essentially is he fulfills a lot of what the Stone Priest does. Then he also has the same range and output as a Battle Driller, right? Um, and then against Defense 5. And then he also um, contributes uh, the extra wounds in combat that if I cast Bane Chant with the Stone Priest, right? Because he gets into combat and just does like three or four wounds automatically. He's gross. Right. So that in of itself, he's a much more of a utility piece. Um, and so working to 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 get, you know, work him in the list as opposed to being able to put Bane Chant on a thing. Um, but anyway, and, and you know. 
and okay, let's just real quick. The breakdown here is he's 45 points more expensive than a dwarf lord. Right. But for the 45 points, you get Radiance of Life, life. Regen, Regen, Crushing five. Strength 3, and an extra pick with Nerve just for that yep. as well. It's yep. like, man, 45 points is a lot, but you're, you're really getting a lot for that. It's, it's one of those examples that we've talked about of these kind of gimme characters. Right. Like, why? Of course you're going to take that. Yeah, well, it's, it, I think it's, it's interesting, should, right? It's interesting because I never really saw people taking him previously. Right. And there are a surprising number of dwarf players attending Masters this year. And Five. Rossi's not the only one right. Right? Who, who took Garrick Heavyhand. And I think the difference, right? Like, you can't take a magic artifact. So right, almost true. inevitably, people who were taking dwarf lords in the past were taking them with wings of the with honeybees. The to right. you and you can't fly around and, and right. ping stuff. And so right. you can't do that with Garrick, but kind of the, the play style has shifted a little bit or the meta has shifted and you're not worried about going and punking war machines. You're more worried about once we lock in, I need to be able to win these grinds. I need to be right. able to put damage and break things in one go, whatever the, the case may mm-hmm. be. And right. He does those things better. And so right. now, like you said, John, it's why would I want a regular dwarf lord if he's just going to be walking around? If I can find the forty-five points, the upgrades you get for this guy are it's well right. worth well forty-five worth points. It. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It, the the other important thing too is that I mean, there's two things at play. The first is that the king with wings, he goes to defense five. You throw him into, um, let's say, I don't know, some some twilight king glade stalkers, and I go, good, don't shoot, take two wounds, and it's like, fine, I'll attack you back. And I want to put seven wounds on you. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm only 13, 15. Right? Because, because I, they always wound on fours. And they, have, they hit on threes with elite. And it's like, son of a bitch, right? So right. after all said and done, you're not really grinding what you hit out. You're, stopping, you're spending 150 points to stop something from shooting twice. Is that worth it? Probably not. You know? Um, at least in the traditional way that I've used them. You know? The other thing too is that his radiance of life is not dwarf only, so he oh. can stand. So he can stand next to Gallic's fury and go, "I'm going to heal you up, brah." Uh, he can hang out in the yeah, middle of a bunch can, of elementals can, and go, "Isn't this great?" He can give that to the yeah to every He could give it yep. to the earth elemental stuff. He can give it to anybody in the list. Yeah. So and that 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 um, flexibility matters too in terms of where I put them, right? But just yeah. you know, you make a last minute like. You know, we have we have our master's secret tech chat. It's like, you know, not as secret techy as others, I'm sure. But it's like, have have you thought about doing this? I'm like, no, why would I? Oh, OK, well, he's good. All right. Well, I bet <laughs> I'll take him and I, now I have to learn how to use him. So let's cram, you know, and you now by about turn around you know, four of the masters, I'll, I will have figured this out. That's kind of how it works. Right. But. So anyway, well, I've, I've, oh, you, it sounds like you've been getting some reps in though, so maybe it won't be turned for it or yeah. for it masters this time. And it's funny, I you you know you go into I think any tournament, and there's a certain there's two ways to approach it. It's like okay, so what is the meta, and how do I counter it? And meanwhile, I'm like, eh. you know, when we when everything went to a billion hits, you know, I, um, you know, uh, a thousand shots, but no piercing. Like, you know, how do you deal with late soccer shooting and how do you deal with stuff and how do you deal with things with with um with uh with stealth? I think the dwarves give you a hard counter. Yeah, my sharpshooter is gonna hit you on fives or sixes, but my dogs always hit you on fours. 
And the stuff that really is important, all my unit strength is defense six. So, okay, right? I'll go four and two again. That's what I do, you know? But that is, that is, that's, that is, uh, that's a, a hard great counter. record to have. Yeah, yeah it's not, it's, it's pretty <laughs> legit, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's something to it. Anyway, but I've been getting a lot of practice in. The other thing I've been doing is uh, just last, last minute, uh, the t shirt order is in. Everybody should be set, including um, guys that didn't make the team, but their names are still on the shirt. And I can't wait for everybody to see the shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we got that figured out. And um, just some last minute travel arrangements, but you know, hopefully by the time we get, you know, next time we record, we'll do some. Re- I intend this time, I swear to God, to do some recording on site, and then, uh, and then afterwards, it'll be uh, painting for Crossroads, right? I actually, I'm going to take out my painting stuff and get it all set and ready to go. You know, I don't right. know if he, I found he's the bin. committed it. He's committed it to it. audio, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll paint two more minis this year. That's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Slow yeah. and steady. But well, right, that, so that stuff's all great. Yeah. So in terms of media update, I mean, everybody basically feel free to talk about what you want to talk about. Um, I've been reading a lot, but I haven't finished anything quite yet. So I'm not going to bring up books this time. I do want to talk, touch on two things quickly. One, it goes without saying, I'm sure many people listening to this don't need my plug, but uh, Stranger Things on Netflix is amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. Season four did not disappoint. Part two of season four, which just came out, was phenomenal. A roller coaster of emotions. This show is just so freaking good. And it it even passes what I am now dubbing the John Vanoss uh, Jungle Cruise test. What? Which means he will not, <laughs> if he ever found the time which is a hard sell to sit down and watch this show. He would not turn it off. He, he would love it, right. John. And, and this is a, this is a minor <laughs> spoiler for folks. So if you want to not hear this, skip ahead 15 seconds, but there is a, a climactic scene in season four where there's a character who is just wailing out master of puppets on his guitar while this epic battle rages on and it's it's yeah it's amazing i don't know why those two things are happening together but it sounds good to me well yeah i mean it you'd have to watch to find out (laughs) (laughs) it's so good so been uh very uh excited it unfortunately it meant i had to miss a a dnd session because we had a bunch of people over to watch those episodes the day that they came out um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is that I, for the first time this year, I beat a video game. Oh, Jake would be proud. Of me. Um, yeah, so it's it's this great game called Spyro Reignited Trilogy uh, that came out in 2018, and it's a it's a remaster of the original three Spyro the Dragon games from back in the day on the PS1. Uh, the original Spyro the Dragon came out in 1998. So if you're not familiar with these, they are a 3D platforming game, um, kind of like Sony's answer to the Mario 64 style of gameplay. Uh, but it has its own quirks. And um, it's just, I, I played the first two when I was a kid, loved them, never played the third one. So this was my first time playing the third. All three of them are excellent. I think they, they stand up pretty well. Um, it perhaps if you're not as nostalgic for them as I am, you would get bored by the time you finished the third game because 
while each one does introduce some new gameplay mechanics and whatnot, they're all kind of the same thing. Um, but they're not super long. So it took me maybe seven to eight hours to beat each one. And that was with me going through and uh, platinuming these Ooh, games. Getting which is something I've never done before. Achievements either. and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the cool thing about this, um, these remasters, obviously the graphics are vastly improved. I played on PlayStation 4. Um, graphics are excellent. Uh, the music is fantastic. The music was fantastic in the original games. Uh, the composer is this guy, Stuart Copeland, who played the drums in The Police. In police. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's legit. Mm-hmm. And you have the option that he he came back on board and he touched up. He like jazzed up the original soundtrack. And you can toggle between the original soundtrack or the remastered soundtrack. Um, and it's cool when you're within a level to kind of switch back and forth and you can hear, you know, how he made some changes. But, you know, it's all fun. It's whimsical kind of stuff. Um, and then there's two extra things, you know, the game is the same, but the two extra things are, uh, within the game skill points and you have a list, uh, for each one of what you're trying to achieve in each level, like find hidden items, defeat certain things, you know, pass this part without taking damage, whatever it is. If you unlock all the, the skill points, you get art galleries where you can see concept art. And then there's trophies, which is something that, you know, modern games have. So I did everything there was to do, and I got a platinum on all three games. And I feel quite proud of myself. Yeah, you've done a thing. I Dust off them shoulders. That's it. So that's me for media. How about y'all? I'm going to be honest. I haven't played any video games. I haven't watched any movies. Um... Nah, none of none of that stuff. Yeah. I have nothing to contribute to the media wow. conversation. I've been reading. I've been uh, doing an audiobook, but uh, it's not finished yet. So I'll wait till it's done. I'll hold off, right? Yeah. So I I uh, finally got around to watching um, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Ooh. and that is done by Sam Raimi, and that is a Sam Raimi movie. <laughs> it, it is so over the top, and just. And you know, of course, it features zombies. It's pretty. It's pretty fun. I don't think it's great, but I think it's visually awesome, and I think it's fun, um, in and of itself. I, it's. Uh, it was. It was certainly worth my time, right? Um, and I finished the Django Wexler. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I finished the last book in the series, and it ends. You know how like um, some some authors have a hard time with the pacing of their ending. Yes. Right. Um, I think he does an excellent work, an excellent job of the pacing of his ending. Um, just really, just really quite well done. Uh, and everything kind of works uh, logically and it wasn't, didn't feel rushed. It, it, you know, sometimes it feels like the author wakes up and goes, ah, oh, crap, I got 30 pages left. Let's go. Right. right? And it, like we got to wrap this up. Come on. Yeah. Editors on my butt to finish the story here. Yeah. There was, there was, there was none of that. It was, it was quite well done. I mm. thought it was, yeah, it was, it was certainly, you know, for the end of a five book series, it was really good. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's it. And I just started the. Uh, I'm reading, you know, a, a nonfiction book at the same time, some mystery crap. But I'm also reading. Um, I just started. I'm on page two of the second um, Mistborn trilogy, the one that's set in the, uh, yeah, the old west tech. So I can't wait to dive into that and get that under my belt. Cool. Yeah, 
But that's it for me for media. Awesome. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll jump into the main topic, talking about how we approach different scenarios. Cool. topic here we wanted to go into a couple of different scenarios and kind of just have an informal conversation about how we approach those scenarios and why and sort of um, in two different ways one maybe when you're designing your lists are there things you're including because of those scenarios and then when you're deploying or you're coming up with your battle plan during the game uh, you know how are you reacting to the scenario that's in front of you yeah love it so what uh what scenario would you like to i i think and we talked about putting them in clusters yeah you know scenario scenarios come in three broad types right there's like the um board control type where you have um dominate control invade right where you don't have tokens or um you know things like that but you have areas of the table you're trying to have more unit strength in right i mean that's that's one of which them. which you know what i'm gonna interrupt you i apologize Please. Mike. i actually yeah. think i was thinking about it and we had talked about this earlier but i'm thinking about it some more i actually think that's the wrong way to categorize those oh. i think dominate is fundamentally different than control control plays more like pillage yes um dom- yes. dominate is shove all your shit in one tiny part of the bard and control and pillage, despite the fact that one is board control and the other is objective control, um, maybe fall into the, more of the same category of spread out control. Agreed. Yeah, um, I, I totally see that. And I've, I've actually heard the argument that push is just invade with a different name. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thought too. Right. So yeah, so you can kind of categorize those differently. Um, loot is a little bit unique. And then what's the other one where you pick up the five loot pillage? Where there's five loot tokens? Oh, plunder. 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 Yeah, so loot and plunder are obviously very similar. Um, and nobody ever plays the uh, bluff token one, so let's just ignore those. Which I personally <laughs> love the bluff token scenarios. And tournaments routinely will say in their pack, you know, we will not be playing Fool's Gold or right. what's the other. Uh, uh, smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke right. and mirrors. I personally, I I enjoy those. So those two and kill are are generally left out. I mean, yeah. we're not going to sit here and talk about kill, um, even though we did play it at Orktown. It's yeah, and we yeah. all had cognitive dissonance while we were trying to play it. Like, yeah, we we sure did. <laughs> doing, right? So uh, let's pick a couple that we want to discuss, and and we can sure speak to them specifically and also maybe more broadly about the the similar scenarios grouping yeah you know however you want um i think we should we should uh start it off with loot yeah because we just played it last night because john and i just played it and then i played in our minds earlier today with uh, mr spear So, (laughs) so perfect so i'll just quickly read these so loot before rolling off to two sides, place three loot counters on the center line of the board. One must be placed in the exact center of the board. 
or as close to the center line as possible. And then players place one more each, rolling off to see who places theirs first. It cannot be placed within 12 inches of each other or within three inches of blocking terrain. You pick up a loot token to control it. You need to have more loot tokens than your opponent to win. When you're holding that loot token, remember that if your speed is greater than five, it gets reduced to five. If you have nimble, you lose nimble while you're holding it. And you also can't be affected by surge or wind blast or probably ensnare um, or uh, enthrall. I'm just assuming though. I don't know. Right. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Because you can't be magically moved basically. And then plunder, you have five loot counters that are all lined up along the center of the board, one in the direct middle, and then the remaining four, placed along that center line 12 inches away from each other. There's very little um, wiggle room for where those can go. And then after you roll for choosing sides, starting with the player that chose their side first, you nominate one of those loot counters to be worth two victory points instead of one. And so you'll end up with two loot counters that are worth two points each and three that are worth one point each. Right. Okay. So one thing to note just there about loot, off the bat, I said with uh, plunder, there's little wiggle room and where they go with loot. Whoever puts the first one down, if they don't put it in a particular place, that you can end up with all three loot tokens kind of on one half of the board, right? Um, or you can end up where they're spread, you know, center, left, and right. Right. You can force that by by placement. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I when I play loot because my army is slower, I try to give myself the option to have all the loot counters on the same side, right? It's never worked because my, <laughs> because my opponent has always been like, I see what you're doing. You know, here you go. Right. But that is a thing that I've always tried to do. Right. So when you're building your list, are there certain units that you are including for loot? Or, you know, put, uh, push, which is maybe a little different, but you do carry loot tokens or plunder. Are you picturing units that you're like, I'm including this unit because it's going to be good at carrying loot tokens? Right. So that that's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm going to answer um, from the perspective of a guy that plays one army that is slow. Yeah. Right. And so for me... Um, for a while, I was taking care of that with allies, like in the very beginning of second edition, right? Because um, I had a bunch of gyrocopter models and I need something to do with them. But now what I do is I use Mastiff hunting packs because they move 12, you know, they can march. Put them on the line and I have them set up. If I'm playing loot, I include three of those uh, to either screen or for loot, they run up, they stand on a token. And then with the idea that they will get killed and then my other units have moved up and they can counter charge whatever it is that just killed the dogs, right? That is, that is the intention, right? They are then there to be used for that purpose during the, you know, during, during the, during the game. So you're kind of thinking, well, these Mastiffs, they have other uses, but in these scenarios, their use is to kind of guard this token until my dwarfs or my, Gallic's Fury or somebody or who's more substantial can get, right. uh, can get there. And they're the ones who eventually want to hold it, but they're slow. So you right. need somebody to get out there and play defense. Right. Just go stand on it and then make them, you know, make them earn it. Right. And then if I go second, the chance of, you know, 
most other armies can move really fast, right? So I'll turn that over to you guys for what units you take with the speed. Because I think what you want to do is either be able to scout up or move up and claim at least one of them on turn one, right? Like that is that is an important thing to be able to win loot is just to stand on it and go, this is mine. What are you going to do about it, right? Well, it puts that, so much pressure, you know? That very much came up in our in the game Greg and I played, but I have a question for you first, Mike. I, I know you're, you're saying this is how I use these units when I'm playing loot, but Greg's question was, are you taking those units specifically so you can play loot? No. No, it's right. one of it's one of let's say ten scenarios that I may see at a tournament. Right. If I was really going to go out of my way to play loot, I would take um, forest shambler allies. Right. Just, I would, just shamble up or scout yeah, up. Just just scout up first turn and before the game starts and just stand on a token and go. What are you going to do? You know, that's if I was going to make a make a shift like that, I would have to go to allies in order to do that. There's nothing in the dwarf list that scouts at that range that can go and do that. Right, you you could take you could take Rangers with uh, Brew of Haste. I could do that, and then they would they <laughs> or would you die. could play Free Dwarfs. Yeah, free no. Dwarf Spear Levy. Come on, oh, you know you oh, love them. Not gonna do it. You can't no. make me. So like before, Greg and I played our game last night. We actually talked about this a little bit. Greg was saying, you know, I do this every game. I move my units up onto the objectives because he he's got the Forest Shamblers, right? Um, and I get the loot tokens, and then. Is that really the right strategy, though? And I play the other perspective. I never, even if I can, try to jump on a loot token turn one. Um, I would, I would rather play the reactive game where I see what gets it and then make my tactical decisions based on that. Um, yeah, and that, I mean, you know, you were playing Twilight Kin against my nature, and you've got a lot of shooting, so it's like. Okay, and, you want to be cute food. and come up and, and get this? Now you're close to me. I'm going to unload on you. Right. Um, I do think, from my, my previous question, that you know, dwarfs are one of those armies where they're slow anyway, and a lot of them are good candidates for carrying loot tokens. If you're playing an alpha strike kind of army and you don't take something that's, you know, like the equivalent to like a Draugr or a zombie regiment that you don't mind if they're carrying loot token, then you're really hampering yourself, right? If all you have yeah, is hard. hordes of Draken riders and dragons and stuff, and one of those units or m many of those units, if, if it's plunder and there's five of those, you know, loot tokens sitting around have to be saddled with those, then right. you you're wasting points in effect, right? Yeah, because those you're, units you're... have to go be you don't you don't get a lot of those units. They have to go kill things, right? And and in my case, it's not so much that things are super fast. Although I do have you know my scorch wings and and stuff flying now, but it's when I pick up that that loot token, I can't be surged, and right. my army does rely on surging stuff around. So sometimes, you know, my ideal candidate in my list is is probably the tree herder because he's gonna go from speed six to speed five okay but he's also tough as nails i almost never lose him right he's, you know defense six radiance of life dash 18 he's a small base so it's hard to get multi charges on him and stuff so if he can hold as many of those tokens as possible good for him right and with scout he might be able to get up into position 
Right. So there are definitely right. like, I think when you're designing your list, depending on the type of list you're playing, if you're looking at, well, I've got a whole bunch of high speed units or all of these stuff with surge and like, you might want to throw in that regiment or that hero, the monstrous infantry or large infantry hero, something right. That you, you think can, can pick this stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, I don't know. I've, I've played those alpha strike armies a lot. Um, <laughs> and loot has been one of my toughest scenarios to win. Uh, so that could be telling. Uh, um, but my strategy with that is usually to clear out enough space to grab the loot tokens at the end of the game. The, the risk right. is you make that charge and you don't kill the unit and you don't get the token if you're waiting till turn five or six to actually even go after it in the first place. Um, and sometimes your opponent can get cheeky and um, move a mage in the way so that it's impossible to charge your gargoyles so that um, you actually just can't get to the token by the end of the game. Right. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. He might be talking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, right? Uh, maybe the base of a mounted mage just perfectly covers the flank of a unit of gargoyles. I'm just saying, it's possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but so, but but to your point, John, I think I think the way that I play this scenario, and I think other other people can see this. You're either going to go up and you're going to grab it. And then try to protect it. Or try to protect it. Or I'm going to move up, and I'm going to wait for you to come and get it. And when you get it, I'm going to punish you. Right, exactly. I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in in position where I'm going to come and I'm going to charge whatever it is that goes to pick that up. Now, what normally happens, and I think if you have a balance in your list, you have some shooting and some other stuff to, like, mitigate this too, is you go pick that up. Cool. That becomes the target of all of my shooting until you die and drop it. Yeah. And then I force another unit to come and pick that up. And meanwhile, I got this unit, you know, this movement for group of bros who are just like, oh, God, I really hope we go to turn seven. Because by then, maybe he'll kill the third unit that picked that token up and I can stand on it at the end. Right. It's it's. uh well, so, I mean, you're saying that from the perspective of Dwarves, but I think it works for a lot of other armies, too. It this certainly does. In our game with Greg, he had a unit of Swarth Shamblers, like, off on a flank with a token, and he's got a unit of Molochs right next to it. And so I'm struggling to kill these Forest Shamblers. I only have, like, one or two things to shoot at it. And I'm thinking, even if I kill those Forest Shamblers, it doesn't matter. The Molochs just walk over it and pick it up the next turn. So I actually had to kill the Molochs first or at the same time because either one of those units was going to have that objective at the end. Right. So, right. right. So, so when you're talking about, do you shoot the unit? Actually, you might want to shoot the unit that's protecting the unit that has the token. Um, mm-hmm. Depending on, you know, circumstances. Yeah. It's, not, it's not always go directly after that unit, but yeah, your, your point's good. Right. But so for setup, what I normally do uh, for this scenario, what I'll do is I'll set up in such a way that I can go up and, Punish or contest on the first turn two of the tokens, right? Because, and I think a lot of people do this. They go, you can have that one, but we're fighting over these two. Unless you've got a horde army. Unless you have a horde yeah. army. <laughs> you, can, you can blanket the table and be like, we're, I'm contesting all three. What are you going to do, right? right? Um, but I think that a lot, a, a, lot, a lot of people will do this. And, and being able to have the wherewithal to choose the two tokens that you will contest or go for based on the terrain and your army list yeah. makes a giant difference, right? We had talked in our last, in our last uh, uh, episode, we talked with Corey 
Reynolds about his his time at Orktown. And I asked the question, like, if you're going to, like, go and throw some token stuff over, yeah, token, if you're going to throw a couple of units over in a direction to, like, contest something and keep the other guy honest, how many points do you put toward that? Or Ooh. what is your force that does that? And do you choose that out of your list, right, as, as part of the setup? You know, like, I'm not just going to give that to you for free. So I'm going to, I'm going to put down a hundred points to make you put down three, right. To go and take that, which, which gives me the advantage over here and on these other two. So I had that exact thought process right the other night. And my, my strategy for deployment was to put two units that were fast enough to go either direction, um, and not commit, not commit anything a hundred percent to that third token, but have stuff that was like, if I just, if things go well enough right. in the other part of the battle, they're, uh, they're fast enough to pivot and go that way. Um, so I consciously put faster units over there. But they were influencing the center of the battle as much as they right. were flank. That was kind of my... Uh, Greg, you, I don't know, you, you saw that, right? I mean, I had the, the Alchemist Curse Mage in a position so she could jet into either direction, depending on where you deployed things. Yeah, and I think that went with your approach to the scenario being more reactionary. So you want to have... right. You know, you saw, I went the opposite way, like Mike is saying. I, the uh, loot counter that was on my left, your right, I conceded to you, but I did put a few things there. So you had to, you couldn't just ignore them. Um, but you had obviously invested more points on that side than I did. And right. then the one that was in the center and on my right, your left, uh, that's where I had my units with Scout and I, could go up and kind of like Rossi was describing he does with his dogs, but I can do it more accelerated right. with scout. Like my four shamblers can come up. They could either pick up that token or they could just defend it. Like they right. don't have it, but it's there. Somebody else will get it or maybe they'll start to run away with it, you know, cause they're not, they're no um, chumps either. They can, they can hold on to it pretty well. Um, and you were kind of thinking, well, I've got this shooting here, and I've got these these units like Gargoyles and um, Abyssal Horsemen and Mikael, who are all pretty fast, and they're in a position where they could shoot out towards to fight for that center one or to fight for the one on my right, your left, depending right. on which one you thought you were going to have a right. better chance at. Right. Right. Because again, yeah. like you know, I obviously I I was thinking about this, you know, in most scoring systems if you're playing, you know, blackjack or, uh, Northern Kings, you are, you know, you're incentivized to get all three loot tokens, but my plan is never to get all three. And I wonder if there are folks who like routinely plan to get all three and the amount of hubris, it's <laughs> like, I just can't like, that's just not me. Right. I don't know if it's not my army or I just, you know, I need to be more confident, but I'm never like, yeah, I'm going to go in and I'm going to wipe these units. I'm going to take all three. Yeah. Well, I, some, right there sometimes that happens. Uh, Fight, but right? it's very rare. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think unless you have an army that's like, I'm going to win every scenario by removing all your pieces. Is that cool? And then by turn four, I'm going to go, what is the scenario we're playing? Because I killed all your crap. Yeah, like, we're, yeah. we're going to put my yeah. stuff to win the scenario now. Yeah. Right? And and so if you're one of those people, don't bother listening to this ep the rest of this episode. Because we're talking about scenario, and you're like, scenario is an afterthought. I kill bros. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But. Um, all right. So let, let's, do you want to go on to another one? I think that we yeah, can explore yeah. that one pretty good, right? What? How do you guys set up for control? 
using you know i, I think dominate is we should we should talk yeah. about that later but i think control invade is like you set up and you run in that direction and you die on that half of the table like i that one kind of is self-explanatory yeah. right let me um, read control uh yeah. for us at the end of the game divide the board into six two by two squares and add up the total unit strength of each player's units within a square if a unit is straddling the line between two or more squares, it is considered to be in whichever square is covered by the majority of its base. If there is no clear majority, the owning player must choose which square the unit is in. The player who has the highest unit strength in each square controls it. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows. Two victory points if you hold the square in the middle of your opponent's half of the board, and one victory point for each other square you hold. Right. So what do we do for this scenario uh, with the assumption being like, I don't know if you guys do this, but I have a set setup for a standard setup for the army that I take. I've played it enough where I'm like, I, this, this, you know, people talk about battle groups. This group goes over here and the main group goes here and, and then we play, right? Do you do anything different in your setup for control? Then your standard, I'm going to go up the middle. I'm going to control my half, of the, you know, my center two foot and your center two foot. And I want to win the game that way. Is that something you guys do? How do you approach this scenario? I mean, I know it's fundamentally different than loot, but to, to play on what Greg was saying, I approach it largely the same way. I look at what table segments I want to control to win the game. And I plan on giving up the other ones. Right. And that's, again, Going back to could be the style of list, like neither of us are playing goblin hordes with 20 through 29 yeah, units yeah, in them or anything like that. But I, right. I usually think I want to concentrate my power in a place where I think I can break through and control, you know, three, if I control three parts of the board and can, and can push for a fourth one to get the win, that's, that's where I'm usually trying right. to strategize for. Right. I do think, um, you know, John, you mentioned kind of the same thought process, but I think compared to the loot or plunder, this scenario is very different in one way, right? If I'm <clears throat> trying to get the loot tokens first, like I said, if that's my strategy and defend them, I really want first turn. Right. Or I want scouting units to guard them, or maybe I want both. On control, it's almost always better to have the second turn. I think so. Then you get that last turn on six or seven where you can hop from one table square to another. Also, <laughs> this is a scenario where having high movement is a huge advantage, especially Agreed. paired with getting the, the second turn. Because then on that last turn, if I've got my this, this theoretical Scorches of Nature army, with a bunch of hordes and regiments of right. scorch wings and they've survived the battle <laughs> i have the last turn i can move to it doesn't matter what you did i can go wherever i want right, right? and you can plot and, that and i can manipulate yep. the the control of each of those uh squares mm -hmm. so Agreed. playing an army like i do which is on the slower side has some fast elements but it's a lot of shambling yeah, right. I've got, you know, scout, but after I've scouted, I'm not very speedy. Um, right. I always try and straddle. I, I try and put the bulk of my force where four of those table quarters all intersect. 
Yeah. They're not quarters where four of those tables own whatever they are. Right. Um, so, so that I can do a little bit of shifting, um, you know, as need be. And I can fight over that one area because if I'm trying to spread out and cover the whole board, my, the style of army I have, it doesn't work. It needs to be close together to support itself. Right. So that it, control is a more tricky scenario for my style of list uh, for that specific reason it's harder for me to spread out and i don't have as many fast elements that can just dip and go grab stuff right right so so for me you would ask you would ask this question last time and i'm going to answer it for this one how did i change my list when third edition first came out i was like i'll take cannons cannons put out <laughs> wounds i did some, you know you do the basic math on the back of the back of a napkin i should do x and such number of wounds over the course of a game or over the course of three turns and then they're they're more efficient than sharpshooters, so I'm going to do these guys. And then once I started playing, and I was like, oh, crap. They offer no unit strength, and they can't pick up tokens, and they can't do any of that crap. I took sharpshooters instead. So instead of taking three cannons, I take four sharpshooters. I, it's more points to get the same number of wounds. But in exchange now, what I end up doing, very similar to you, Greg, is I will put down units to take my center quad my center section your my opponent's center section and then i will control my half of the board yeah. or i will control the right half and i will do that literally by putting down three units of sharpshooters in a in a section right so i have three unit strength if you want to come over here you have to have a regiment over there if i do that and a regiment of guys that's six unit strength on that side of the table good luck right yeah i think um sharpshooters or uh, a regimen of guys that shoot, you know, any, anything yeah. really uh, is great in this scenario because they can sit back and not engage the enemy, but still put out damage and still put their unit strength in, uh, you know, yep. important position where yeah. your opponent either has to concede it to you or they have to come over there. Absolutely. Whereas if your army doesn't have units like that, then to hold stuff back, either you have to be fast enough where you could run back to those zones at the end mm -hmm. of the game, or you have to just be have a cheap, well, this is a you know, a goblin rabble regiment. I don't care. I'll leave it here. Yeah. I can play without it this game. Right. It won't Everybody do anything back for the battle, yeah. but it'll have unit strength here. But if yep. that unit shoots, it's better to leave it there. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So and then the the other thing that um I, I look at and I, I actually do the exact same thing. If we're going to talk control, one of the other things we should probably talk about is pillage. That's the one with like seven tokens all over the place. Right. Do I have that right? The pillage. Yeah. Pillage is uh, D three plus four objective right. markers. Right. Oftentimes again, with they're, they're um, scattered everywhere systems, you're using the maximum number, yeah. which is seven. Right. You and your and opponent alternate putting them down. So you end up being mm -hmm. spread out. In a similar way, not quite the same, but a similar way to control. Yeah, but it, absolutely. I mean, the, the points don't quite work out, but there's still one in the center, six other ones. Where they're usually one in each of the six sections that you would have on control. Right. So I play that right. very similar. It's very similar. Up. In style. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have uh, unit strength that I sit back to do shooting, and then I have unit strength that I'm going to push forward to contest, right? with the understanding that I'm going to lose some of that unit strength. So where am I really going to push to get the most bang for the buck? Right. 
but that that being said, is there is there anything different um, that you do, John? Because I know Greg kind of clump, you know, he he clusters together very similar to the way I do. Is there something that you do? Because your your army that you normally take, you prefer Alpha Strike mobility. There's a little more speed on your on the armies that you take. How do you approach that scenario? Right, um, that would be different yeah. from us. Well, so so the the army I'm running at Masters is not probably the one that I normally. Not, not quite the same style that I normally take, but when I'm when I'm running the alpha strike style things, you usually, like you said, usually have some faster units. And the advantage of the faster units is they can break off and go a different direction later. So I'm more inclined to throw things on the flanks because they can still threaten the middle, right? It's not it, when you've got earth elementals. Earth elementals are influencing just the area immediately around them. Whereas, uh, uh, especially something that's nimble, but something that's flying, it can charge 20 inches. All it has to do is pivot, and now it's fa- it, it was facing the flank, now it's facing the middle of the table, and it's got a huge reach, right? So it's a little bit easier to think about influencing the whole board with your units when you're alpha striking. Right. So, so, what, so two ways to think about that. Again, I might be going after four of those table segments, but thinking, well, as long as one of my flying units is good, I can get over to that other side to contest those if I have to. Or you, you can power in on the flanks and think, I don't need to contest the middle because if my opponent comes in the middle, that's a uh, what classic you know pincer maneuver where you right a collapse on them, collapse you faint the middle, collapse in, and then and then come around. So. Um, those both work okay, and that's one of the advantages of Alpha Strike armies is that they're a little bit more flexible in those movement type scenarios. Now they struggle a little bit in the scenarios where they have to pick up tokens, but they're they're way more flexible in the board control scenarios. Super cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, di- di- different different strategy. I think so. And, and a lot of this has to do. I mean, we're we're talking once again from from the perspective of three guys that play. I mean, I, I play slow and plotting and, and reliable, um, you know, all the time. And I think between the continuum with Greg, with uh, Greg being in the center and John being at the other extreme where his stuff is usually, if I can't fit more dragons and archfiends, then what am I doing? Like everything moves <laughs> 10, right? You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to crush this, turn to face, roll your flank, call it a day. Let's go. Right. Meanwhile, I'm yeah. like, I'm going to take the center and I'm going to form square and pray for turn six, you know? Right. Um, you know, so you're, you are getting some different, some different approaches here. Um, and I will to, you know, that original question again of am I, or are we including units in our list for these <clears throat> types of scenarios? As I said, control and pillage are often the toughest for my forces of nature. And that is a hundred percent why I added in the Scorchwing regiments. You know, they they can serve different roles. They do a little bit of light shooting, which might, you know, waver or route enemy chaff. Um, but it's not that essential. They do. They can be a chaff unit and block a charge. They can maybe do something nice if they have a, a an easier target or they get a flank charge. But sometimes they're just hiding so that at the end yeah. of the game, they can be like, here's two points of unit strength each that I can fly into a different uh, table section or I can use to jump onto um, uh, an objective marker to to control it. And that's something the other parts of my list can't do those things. So it's not perfect, but it does make these scenarios uh, better <laughs> for me than if I didn't have them. Totally. 
Yeah, cool. that, that's a good that's a good point. You don't have to have your whole list dedicated to one of these things to be no. able to play them effectively. No, but that that's one of the reasons to have at least moderately mobile unit strength or reliable unit strength on the table, right? right? I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're playing these scenarios in such a way that you want to be, a, man, if you win by one or two unit strength, it's still a win. And in, I'll, I'll use masters as an example, any, any um, five round tournament with, or yeah, any five round tournament with 32 players, you just got to get five wins. Five wins wins you the whole thing. Right. So you don't have to win by all of it. You win by a little bit and you get the win and there you go. Right. Depending on the scoring system, you know, so you, you want to have something that's well-rounded for the scenarios you think you're going to have. But so that, that being said, do we want to move on to something like dominate? Right. Dominate or very push? different. Very you know different. I mean? yeah, yeah. I think dominate is pretty unique amongst the scenarios. Sure. So, right. So yeah, I'll, I'll uh, read that one for us real quick. Just pull it up. Okay. Dominate. At the end of the game, add up the unit strength of all of your units that have the majority of their footprint within 12 inches of the center of the playing area. That is your victory point score. Your opponent does the same, and you compare scores. Seems pretty straightforward, pretty, right? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, I, so I've seen people approach this scenario very differently the the ones okay so i my job is to get my crap in the middle of the table and like i said form square and and die slow right everybody supports everybody else and here you go like a lot of a lot of the scenarios that have a center token um i i actually play push very similar to the way that i would play dominate right as um okay yeah in in so far as i have a center token I need to control, and I have I I take all I think a lot of people do this. They take all three tokens, they dump it on their on on something, and they go, "You're carrying these tokens over there, right?" So go in that direction until you get just past the just past the center, and I'm going to take the center token. I'm going to win four to three. That's how I play push every time, right? So in that way, it's almost a modified dominate. And so far as getting the center token is super important, right? Um, and what I have found is that it isn't enough to get everything in the center and form square because the other guy's trying to do the same thing, right? If he's fast, I've seen the, okay, we'll do the pincer thing. So we'll, we'll hang around the outside and harass you and then turn six pig pile into the center. But sometimes it's not enough to pig pile in the center. I agree with you. Yeah. (laughs) Totally there with you. Right. Um, I, I I now set up, I deploy in such a way that I have units that will go in and contest and they will die. But I have 12 unit strength sitting behind that is going to wander in turn five and six and go, okay, second wave, I dare you to kill the rest of the stuff that's here, right? So for that, I will take my sharpshooters and I will set them up in such a way um, in the center, you know, the center um, sixth of the board, and they're, you know, let's say um, six inches from the table edge. But during their turn, during turns five and six, they can run they forward eight inches, up. and then they're in the center. I think you can get away with that though, because of the army you play. A lot of armies can't do that effectively because that second, that not every single unit in their army is tough to kill. Okay, so they just don't have that that second. Yeah, I mean, to, to provide. 
Yeah. Mike agreed. is playing with a high number of units and a high unit strength and right. lots of high defense. Yeah. To right. back all that up, which right. is not what everybody does. I mean, you could do something similar with the cheap, like, um, uh, horde type armies, but then, you know, they have a bigger footprint. So it's maybe a little harder to stack sure all do. those units. Into Agreed. The center. Right. I mean, to be fair, dominates my jam. Yeah, right. yeah, that is a that's a good scenario for you. Yep. Yeah, I think, I mean, it goes without saying that terrain is important to all of the scenarios, but I think maybe it's most important to dominate what is in that center twelve inch bubble. Um, you know, are there forests? Are there lakes? Is mm-hmm. there a building? You know, preventing some of that real estate. Are there walls that are going to uh, make hindered charges? And that can sometimes influence not only the table side that I want, but also when I'm going to try and come in. Because if it's if it's an open killing field and my opponent's got a lot of shooting, I'm, uh, I'm not looking to just walk up walk in there, there first turn close, and right? get, get gunned down, right? Not even close. Yep. Um, I think, you know, John and I had pl- faced off... Um, Elves, you didn't have Twilight Kin then. It was regular elves, right? Elves versus yeah. Force of Nature at That's Dead of Winter in the last round <laughs> in Dominate. So and sad. we we had the, like our <laughs> whole armies were just like around the ring. Like we formed like a perfect, it was like a dance circle uh, <laughs> on the really dance was. floor. And uh, we just kind of like the last turn like rushed in because he wanted to be able to pepper me with shots and not get countercharged and i was in the edge of the the dominate circle was where the woods were that i wanted to have as much of my army in as i could so i would get cover uh and it was a really interesting like we both ended up with 14 unit strength in the dominate circle each it, which so it was a, a draw a which lot. seemed like a, a massive amount to pack yeah. 28 unit strength in there but yeah i mean my list that that has like the harder defense six kind of center that wants to go up and just like get in there early or at least get to the edge of it early so I could walk in and then maybe some of my other elements can can swoop around right, right. Um, and prevent anybody from outflanking me or jump in later you know that type of thing but it I think this one yeah it really depends on your army I've played Alpha Strike armies before and I will. N- not go anywhere near that circle till nope. like turns. Not, oh no! Yeah, four, five, five, six. <laughs> you know, right? I agree. Right. I mean, everybody's kind of like shadow boxing around the outside, waiting until everybody has to pile in the middle because the alpha strike, man. If you, oh man, if, if you, you give them the, the opportunity, you can't. Right. Makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Right? So you, you walk in there and die. You just lose your army. It's no, it's no good. Full. Right. And then the other side of that, too, though, is the Alpha Strike relies on I kill and then I turn to face. But if all my crap's in the middle, who are you turning to face? That's true. Right? You know That's what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that is one of that is one of the one of the um the downsides to that to that approach, right? I played um Chris Murphy at uh uh Crossroads last year, and he was mopping my shit up and we were playing Dominate, and I got in the middle of the circle and I formed square and he looked down and he was like, I can't win this. And I was like, BS, you're going to remove all my stuff. Right. But he was right. He went and he killed a unit and he's like, okay, I guess I'll turn this way. And I'm like, I see you. 
I see you. Every time he turned, I was like, I see you. Like, I'm going to punch you back. You know, the dominate forces the battlefield to get really small. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that that works against, in some instances, it works against alpha strike quite, quite well, you know, because of that, you know, it's, I know where you're going to be. And I, and I have guys nearby to come and give you a counter punch in the jaw, you know? Yeah. So I, I in, in a lot of ways, it's a nice, mix up where the alpha strike armies do really well in a lot of the scenarios where you need to be all over the table right and this one yeah it's it's tough right yeah i think that we kind of mentioned it throughout each scenario or type of scenario we talked about like certain um list builds that uh have maybe have an edge in that scenario but there isn't necessarily one that's great against all of them, unless it's the, you know, like we said, it's just the thresher. It's going to kill all, you know, 2000, 2300, however many points your opponent has. And then, right. you know, the last two turns, we'll figure out how to win the scenario. I mean, if you're doing that good on you, but uh, <laughs> right. otherwise that's one of the nice things in a tournament. When you play this range of scenarios, you can't necessarily design a list that's going to be, that's not going to have like weaknesses, like strengths and weaknesses. So you have strengths and weaknesses in your um, opponent's armies, like some armies that you you're good against some that you struggle with. And then it also happens with scenarios. So it means it can be really hard, uh, you know, to, to look at a list of people who are coming to a tournament and know who's going to win. Right. Because, (laughs) because if somebody doesn't get, uh, they get the wrong matchup at the wrong time and it just, it can, it can ruin their day Uh and just make it not that they can't win, but make it much harder. So I think that's a, that's a real positive about this game system and uh, especially using it in tournament play. I mean, obviously like just for open games, having scenarios is way more fun than just playing kill all the time. Yeah. Right. But uh, from a competitive sense, it also makes it, uh, more fair, more balanced, and there's just more factors that you have to consider when you're building your list and coming up with your strategy. Totally. Yep. Yeah, buddy. All right. Is there any other scenarios that you think that we want to go over? Um, we didn't right? really talk about push invade, but there. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I could tell. John's when I was like, I play push the same way I play dominate. He's like, you do what now? What is it? <laughs> Why would you do that? Right? That sounds stupid. No wonder you lose all the time. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I agree that push and push and invade play very, very similar, but um, they're, they're very different than dominate. They're very different than the control pillage. Um, so that's kind of got its own unique feel to it. Uh, but, about- but it's, but it's a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. There's less nuance to that scenario. I think, you know, sometimes we talk about doing like the swirl uh, with your opponent, which is to say, uh, I'm mostly on this flank, you're mostly on that flank, and we're going to kind of like move forward and turn. Um, And then our armies are on like either long end of the table and we fight over the middle. Right, because invade is just you have to have more unit strength than your opponent on their half of the board than they have on your half of the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and push is there's one loot token in the dead center, and then there's D3, and oftentimes in tournaments with the scoring systems, you do the max three. 
you can give those to units almost invariably you're giving them all to the same unit and you're going to put it on yeah. somebody somewhere that no one's ever going to engage you're just gonna, right. you're gonna run over here you get extra points if they're on your opponent's half of the table which is why it's similar to invade so you end up kind of on those two sides doing that swirl maneuver and it sure. maybe fighting over the middle um right. i mean i think invade maybe even more than dominate is the one where having an advantage a big advantage in unit strength it uh, is going to come into play because yeah. it, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily get all your unit strength into the middle or your opponent might have an easier time removing it because it's concentrated in one area but when you spread it out uh it can be yeah, it can be really tough if somebody rocks up and they have you know 10 12 15 more units right than you, which can happen sometimes like that, so bad yeah that's a problem <laughs> no i agree with that that's that there's sometimes when you sit down and you're like wow you built this army just for the scenario huh all right well good on you see what I can do. <laughs> you know but that's that's also one of the fun things about the game right as a, as opposed to I think I made this comment before, like when you when we used to play Warhammer Fantasy, yeah, there were different scenarios, but there really were just different ways to lay out your army to play kill. You know, um, I think the Kings of War scenarios are, are much they're they're deeper and they give you Definitely. more tactical decisions to make. Oh, and, and they influence your list build, right? You, you, yeah, you totally. Do, you totally. do have to take into account how you're going to play scenarios. You might be adapting different deployments or strategies per scenario, but generally you're not taking kill lists you're taking scenario playlists generally and i do want to mention what an advantage scout is in uh invade we talked about it being good in in loot there's several scenarios where having scout is an advantage Uh, you know you take just my regiments of forest shamblers as an example i can push those forward with my scout move in such a way where I'm kind of stuffing my opponent on their half of the board because if they right. get the first turn and right. they charge the forest shamblers, take them off, don't take them off. You've moved into charge range of all my good stuff. Right. So you probably don't want to do that. I'm going to make you so pay. Don't move forward. Then I just get to jump on you and crowd you in. And now I'm, I've dictated the fight, at least in this part of the battle is going to be on your half of the table, which is what I want, because I don't want you busting through and getting onto my side. Right. Um, You know, with something like regiments of glade stalkers, yeah, they have scout. They're not going to be used in the same way, though, so they're not necessarily as much of an advantage. It's more about having scouting chaff pieces or things that scout that are hard to shift. Um, But, yeah, they can really uh, make a... I mean... Rossi, I don't know if you play invade and you come up against people with scout is what has your experience been there? I'll, I'll kill them. I kill the scouting units. It's the, the, my, my whole, my whole point is to die on your side of the table when I play invade, right? Like I know I'm going to, I'm going to have to be forced to rush across and then be in bad unsupported positions by turn three. <laughs> Cause if I get, if I get stuck fighting you on my side of the table, even if I kill your stuff, I got to kill it fast. And the army doesn't kill stuff fast. Dwarves don't kill stuff fast. They don't have it in them, right? Um, 
So the, the other thing that I, that I intend that I usually do is I will, besides running everything forward. Um, okay. So dwarves, they have throwing mastiffs and in order to throw the throwing mastiff, you have to, um, not march. And I just say, I'm not bothering. The dogs are going to run forward and they're not going to throw their dogs. These units are going to run forward. And if I get to, ch if I get to throw it, then that means that something's going probably wrong. Right. Or, um, I'm trying to remove something to make a hole to plow through, right? Um, the other thing that I found is that in those scenarios, my sharpshooters will shoot three times and then run three turns, right? So they they boom, boom, boom. And then we get to turn four. I'm like, the decision is made. I have to run. We'll move forward eight. We'll move forward eight. And then by turn six, hopefully we'll be on your side of the table. You know, or move forward eight, move forward four and turn, you know, whatever I have to do in order to, to negotiate it. Right. But that is that is the key, you know, to um for me for playing that scenario, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's right? again and something I set up that, in such a way that it's cannons like, wouldn't be able everything's to do. close to the 12 inch line. <laughs> just get the cannons out. Right. Because I don't yeah. have the time to be like, I guess I'll take if I start at the six inch line or five inches back, that's a whole nother turn of moving that I have to do in order to get past the center line. You know? So if you move scout up, I am positioned in such a way normally well, I will char I will hopefully be able to charge you turn one. Right. And if not, then I will shoot the shit out of you and I will charge you turn two. Sure. You know? Um, that's usually how I handle that. The problem is that nothing in the dwarf list except for Brock Riders, and I'm sorry, Brock Riders are not good enough in a lot of play because of the defense four and the dash eighteen nerve. Um, they don't they don't survive. You know they 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 can't survive the the the, the long game. I'm put them on the, I put them in a list. And I know I'm going to lose them every single game. Right? They're just going to go. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. And they don't they don't make up for it with that. Um. You know, people may argue, but 26 attacks hit on fours with uh, crush none is not that great. It's about five wounds, six wounds, maybe not enough. You know, anyway, that's that's how I play. That's how I play that. Does that Makes answer sense. the question? Sure does. All right. Well, that's that kind of covers it then. I think that's uh that's our analysis on scenarios. I feel like I overexplained that. Did I overexplain that? <laughs> right? No. <laughs> you, did, you did great, Mike. You were awesome. Yeah, just checking, right? <laughs> Feel awkward. No, you were terrible. Cut that out, Greg. Edit I'm just it saying, out. For, Edit it out. Yeah. for this for this awful niche army that I played, this is how I said nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> so I will uh I will just I guess wrap up by saying I enjoy all the scenarios. I I would encourage people when they're not playing in a competitive game to to maybe try the those fool gold smoke and mirrors. Create your own scenario. Go on dash twenty eight. Look at the narrative scenarios I wrote. Do do something different. And I I do hope for the next round of Clash of Kings we get uh, new scenarios in the book. Because right. they didn't put new scenarios out for a while now. And um, the ones we have are great. Don't get me wrong. But variety is the spice of life. So right. I'd love a couple more that are fine-tuned for competitive play and can continue to um, you know, influence how we build lists and how we play the game. Sure. 
Awesome. So that being said, there are um, some additional, I think they're like mini campaign scenarios in the latest, in the latest. Um, edge of clash. the abyss? Edge, it, uh, not edge of the abyss, but this was, uh, actually I have it right here. Let me just pull these out. This is for the, the latest clash pack. Oh, right? oh, isn't there siege rules? Yeah. So, well, if you go inside, there yep. are flip, 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 flip. Here we go. There are a couple extra. So there are scenarios that have to do with a storm in the Shires campaign, right? You know, scenario one, a desperate dash, yeah, battle of the it, walls, a solid defense. Um, I haven't played any of these. I'll be honest, but I'm looking at them when I first got the book and I was like, well, I can see a couple of these being pretty cool. Okay. You know, um, mostly because they set up uh, deployment zones that are, I mean, even like simple stuff, right? Deployment zones that are, you play the table lengthways, yeah. lengthwise, right? So now you deploy in depth because instead of six by four, you're four by six, right? Um, there is another one where the defending player is in the middle and the attacking player is on both sides. You know, how do you deploy? How do you deal with stuff like that? Um there's another one with a hill objective in the middle and then four deployment zones that are the corners. Right. Um, you know, I think that these are one, these are some of these that, that are worth looking at. I don't know if you're going to blow a bunch of money on a book and you're only going to look at the revised rule set, the revised rules for the army that you play. Are That's you really kinda... getting the most out of that book? You know, well, well no, but well, you might have you might have just given us a future topic right here. <laughs> Maybe we should try playing. Some we should try playing some, and then talk yeah. about them, and then be like, "Wow, I Rossi, why did you? Why did you? Why? Why did this? you bring these up? <laughs> Ooh, this is awful, right? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind playing asymmetrical or unbalanced scenarios for no. fun. I yeah. wouldn't want to play them in a competitive. No, of course, and not, that's right? and so just different. You know, they're good for different things. Right. Agreed. Right. But if it, it, this goes back to one of the themes that we had, we had, we had toyed with earlier um, in a previous podcast with this idea of you, sometimes you play for, sometimes you play to create it, to create a story between you and the person you're playing with. Right. Right. And I think that that is one of the things that also Kings of War is very good at, you know, just once again, you're playing scenario play. So it gives your, gives, what is my motivation in this scene? Well, let me tell you, you know, <laughs> let's yeah. read the scenario. Right. Exactly. You know, so anyway, I'll just leave it with that. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you for a, a great episode and um, everyone for listening. Thank you as well. Hope to see as many of you as possible out there at Masters. Yep. Uh, very excited. We will be back uh, hopefully recording some stuff at the yeah. event and we're recording our, our wrap-up episode on that in early August. Right. So. And, and just a quick plug too, uh, Greg and I, I think are going to be, at least I, I will be and Greg will be there too, but I think we're going to be doing some content for Dash 28 as well. So if you don't, if you yeah, have been sir. to Dash 28 to check out our stuff, you probably should. Um, so, you know, we'll be, we'll be doing some live streams and some, and some articles around and after uh, as well. So, you know, come and get it. Awesome. Well, until next time, everybody take care. Later, buds. Good night. Slurp.